Coming up today on Ovias and Gilio, the Carolina Hurricanes and the Florida Panthers set for the Eastern Conference Finals. Storylines galore, all appropriate for the 25th anniversary season of the Carolina Hurricanes. Mike Maniscalco, Canes play-by-play, will drop on by. The ACC meetings in Amelia Island start this week. Florida State's banging the table for unequal revenue share. They're not alone, but we all understand real G's move in silence. Plus, North Carolina high school golf controversy? Yes. I get a lesson today on USGA rules and high school rules. Uh, here we go again. We know y'all be listening. The OG back and better than it's ever been. Blast from the past. You know that our pace is fast. And if you want to sub, we got something for you to smash. Five stars with them positive vibes. Don't miss a beat week to week. You just got to subscribe. Even if your team's got you hella mad. Don't worry, we write our prescriptions on a yellow pad. So settle in, y'all. This is going to be fun. Because when it comes to hot takes, two is better than one. From beard to the canes to the ACC. Who knows more about this than us, the OG? Let's podcast alongside Joe Giglio. I'm Joe Ovias. We still have to wait. As of this recording, Joe, we still don't know when the Eastern Conference Finals are going to start up between the Carolina Hurricanes and the Florida Panthers. Uh, You're the gambling man. I need one quick over-under in mistakes made by a national outlet that combines the Carolina Hurricanes and the Florida Panthers, and we get one Carolina Panthers logo in a story. Oh, uh, mentions you mean over a mention, four and a half? A logo yeah. that's put like you see the the Panthers logo against the Hurricanes or vice versa. There's get or 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 that the the Hurricanes are playing in Charlotte as opposed to Raleigh. I mean, this is just ripe for mistakes. You think you think I have a hard time with Sam's, right? I mean, how many times have I screwed up guys named Sam? Well, yeah, that, that it's going to happen with this. Reasons for that, right? Yeah, well, I guess there are. I guess there are. Regardless. Hey, I, I'll, tell you, I, I, but I'll tell you this, though, Joe. The Canes are now officially the betting favorite to win the Stanley Cup. Did uh-oh. you think we would ever get there? I never thought we'd get there, honestly. Never thought. Well, here we are. Yeah, well, a couple things about um, a couple things about this Eastern Conference Finals matchup, because I think it, it ties to two things perfectly something that you and i've been talking about you know going all the way back to the ncaa tournament and it seems to be playing out for the carolina hurricanes and i feel like we have to add a little bit more context to what we mean when we talk about bracket luck right i also think given the 25th anniversary of the carolina hurricanes this is the most appropriate eastern conference finals matchup you could have all right i mean everything's been about bringing old players back you had the cam ward hall of fame induction you had the whole weekend around the stadium series trip tracy and the crew have been doing a wonderful job highlighting all these moments over the last 25 years the last series against the devils allowed us to kind of revisit all those other series against the devils in crucial playoff moments whether it was 02 06 09 right so Here we are with the Canes taking on their former coach two times over in Paul Maurice. And we have Eric Stahl, the former captain who played alongside Rod Brindamore in 2006 uh, when they won the Stanley Cup. Now, Brindamore was the captain at that time. Stahl was uh, handed the captaincy after the fact. Stahl's years with the Carolina Hurricanes, unfortunately, never matched those highs of 06 or even to a certain extent 09. And sometimes I think he's kind of unfairly associated with a group that can never get right. But it all comes together for this conference finals matchup between the Panthers and the Hurricanes. Yeah, I, I know we tend to think of Rod Brendamore as the greatest Hurricane, right? He was the captain mm-hmm. of the championship team. He is now the coach. He's done an amazing job there. And Ron Francis, when he had signed as a free agent from Pittsburgh, really marked a turning point for the franchise. Like, okay, these guys are legitimately serious. The truth of the matter is, I don't know how you feel about this. Uh, Eric Stahl is the greatest player in Hurricanes history. I don't know if I agree with that. I honestly, actually, I, I can make the argument that his brother, Jordan Stahl, has made more of an impact on this Carolina Hurricanes franchise well, than Eric. There you go with kind of like the tangents, though. I'm saying the actual player. Think of it okay. in these terms, that they take him number two overall. And at a time, and as we've seen after – they really were like picking 12th and 13th and they never got a difference maker. One of their yeah, own. Yeah, yeah. And Eric Stahl as the second pick in that draft was one of their own, a true cornerstone. 
And mm-hmm. while I could make, we could certainly make the arguments about Rod Brendamore being the MVP, Con Smythe in 06, Eric Stahl was the team's leading scorer. Uh, the team in 09, he was in, indisputably the best player on that team. Now, to your point, after they lose to his brother Jordan in Pittsburgh in 09, mm-hmm. Jim Rutherford's big move was to go get Jordan, put the two stalls together. It didn't work out the way that they wanted it to. to- I totally understand that. Yeah. Um, but in my opinion, the only way to get a true fastball like that, and the Canes saw this recently at the beginning of Brendan Moore's tenure when they got Svechnikov at the top of the draft, mm-hmm. the only way to get one of those fastballs or hammers, as I like to call them, is to get picking the top three stall they hit on and delivered obviously fairly immediately winning the cup in his second full year in the NHL. So for me and my money, actual player, actual mm-hmm. best player on all the other stuff is sure. Eric stall. You want to start adding all of the other stuff. I say, yes, I, I agree yeah. with you about Jordan. And then obviously it's indisputable what Rod has done for this franchise, but I do wonder with Rod, if we aren't, you know, grading him on a curve based on what he's done as a coach as well. I see. I don't know about, I mean, I I see why you would feel that way given what's happening with, uh, with the the change in the culture with him as the coach and having now gone to two Eastern conference finals uh, in this short amount of time that he's been the head coach. And I, I can't disagree with you based on overall skill and who the best quote unquote player was on the ice. Yeah. Eric Stahl certainly is that, but what do we know about sports? What do we know about hockey more than anything else? Character matters. Culture around you as a captain matters. Stepping up when things aren't great matters. And the one knock on Eric Stahl during that time is that he kind of shrunk from that those moments, okay? And this is when I was more around the team than I was most more recently, right? And, I mean, I remember having a conversation with somebody in the organization long ago when they weren't good. Uh, missing in the playoffs and everything else. And look, I mean, he's kind of, you can say it's unfair, fair, exact, but when you're the captain, you know, you're going to kind of get yeah. some, 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 some shots thrown at you uh, during that time. And there, there was this lament that it's like, oh man, you know, like I'm kind of getting beat up, whatever. And I remember pointing out to this person in the Canes, I mean, it could be worse. He could be in Toronto where they'd really be roasting him. I mean, we're actually kind of nice and cordial around here, right? And and he actually had a taste of what life was like in Montreal. I mean, if you want to talk about people who get really worked up if you're not good, uh, he had his cup of coffee in Montreal. So it, my my point is with Stahl, I can't take anything away from his actual skill. I cannot take anything away from his actual game. But when you think of great hurricanes, when you think of uh, what embodies the success of the Carolina Hurricanes, there's two players that ultimately come to mind. There was Rod Brennamore as the captain in 06 that kind of took on his personality. And he was a, he was not the vocal leader. He was a lead by example sort of leader. And then what you have with Jordan Stahl. And, I, and I'm not trying to be revisionist about this because you can easily go back into the archives and go back to a show that Adam Gold and I did when they made the trade for Jordan Stahl. I mean, I remember that show vividly where both Adam and I were like, man, you kind of overpaid to get the Stahl brother. And again, I remember at that time, Jim Rutherford, the general manager, was a little bit of a he was um he's kind of like a hopeless romantic with his roster. He loved his players. He would get fixated on certain things. I used to joke during the Jim Rutherford era that no team is earth conscious quite like the Carolina Hurricanes because they recycle, baby. They were bringing guys back all the time, right down to Paul Maurice when they brought him yeah. back after they fired Peter Laviolette. And you got to remember that that was panned when they brought him back. I mean, the jokes were flying. And I'll never forget having this conversation and Rutherford came on and he was high off of doing Toronto radio. And they thought it was great that little old Carolina made this move to get Jordan Stahl and the Stahl brothers were together. And Adam and I just kind of objectively brought up, hey, man, did you give up too much for this? And Rutherford was so mad, so mad after that conversation that he called gold during the break. Like, actually, we couldn't even get to the break. We hung up with Rutherford. He called gold before we even got to the break, and I went to voicemail. And he's like, oh, oh, you didn't think that was good? But fine. Tell you what, I'm not going to talk to you. And sure enough, Rutherford did not show up on the show for about a year. It wasn't until gold showed up for like a, like a trade deadline day 
And I remember the audio too, is like Rutherford sees Gold walks in and Rutherford's like, oh, what a surprise, what a pleasure. Adam Gold is here. So it, they got it. this, it wasn't always sunshine and roses around the Carolina Hurricanes during that time. And some of those moves were questioned, but through the passage of time, you get a better sense of what these players were for the team. And that's ultimately my point with somebody like Jordan yeah. Stahl or what Rod Burnamore has done. It's also interesting, Joe, we love counting stats in certain sports, right? Yeah. Baseball, number one, ding, 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 ding. Uh, Eric Stahl is the leading scorer in the history of the franchise. You know, that usually starts and ends most conversations. But mm-hmm. the, the, to your point, when you've been around as long as we have, you can add some context to those numbers. Uh, I, I, for one, you know, I, I'm interested to see this series in the sense that sometimes, and we'll, this will transition us to bracket luck, you think about, well, you know, Boston, best regular season in history. That's cool. Don't have to beat them. And then you look, maybe maybe even peak on the other side, right? And you yeah. go, well, the Avs, you know, the Avs and the Oilers kind of do what the Canes do, just better, with better mm-hmm. high-end talent. Hey, <laughs> they're gone too, you yeah. know? You, you and, mentioned so bracket. Now, but, now you, you, but you make the mistake, though, of sometimes looking at a team like Florida and going, oh, eight seed. 92 points, fewest points. Who, who do they have? You know, they they, yeah. they made over their roster. Uh, Bavrovsky is, you know, what, six years past his sell-by date. You know, <laughs> you know, you look at it and you go, cool. We got this, right? And I, I don't – I think as a fan, we have that mentality, right? Yeah. But I, I yeah. think the players need to guard against that because, in my opinion, the way that Florida is playing right now – and don't forget, they won the President's Trophy – last year and we saw mm-hmm. tampa do this not that long ago losing the first round come back the very next year and win the cup you know, the canes have to be on their p's and q's with this florida team because the way kachuk is playing and verhage's playing and barovsky's playing uh that's the old formula man your best players have to be your best players and their goalie is is spitting hot fire right now two things i wanted to to, to focus on here before we move on there's bracket luck, but there's also the underdog mentality that you cannot take away from the Florida Panthers and what Paul Maurice is about. This tie, again, ties back to the Carolina Hurricanes and Maurice's time with the Hurricanes. The Hurricanes were never viewed as um, a marquee name. We're still dealing with that now. But you got to remember in 02, that was unexpected. Okay. And they almost pulled it off against Detroit. Maurice is in that mentality. Then 09, remember that team was floundering under Laviolette. He comes in. I forgot the little nickname that he would use in 09 when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals. But again, that team was not supposed to be there. And they fed off of that. And here we are again where, um, you know, Maurice's stature in the coaching ranks has improved over time because he is a great coach. But you can see little you can see the DNA of previous Canes teams and nobody expected us to be here with this particular Florida Panthers group. Right. And you, you knock off a historic Boston team. And this gets back to something you've been talking about. The second round vibes are always different, right? They're coming off the high of beating the number one seed. Toronto's celebrating winning a series for the first time in ages. And clearly the Panthers fed off of that and they could not muster anything but one win. So that's why when we get to the conference finals, I do think that the Carolina Hurricanes can taste it. And that's why I think they're going to ultimately win the series because it gets back to the bracket luck. You did a shot of Joe to go about this. And I think there's some misunderstanding as to what we talk about with bracket luck. Nobody's saying that the Hurricanes are, you need bracket luck. It's just whether or not you take advantage of said bracket luck. And that's what we've been saying the last couple of days. Yeah, it, it particularly, we have not talked about the Hurricanes injuries for a round now, right? Because no. of the way that they played against New Jersey. And you got to remember, the Canes are not at full strength. I do not think the Canes would have beaten Boston or the Rangers. I do not. Okay? Mm -hmm. I'll I'll just straight up say it. And when those teams are out of the way, now all of a sudden it becomes who's in front of you. You don't have to beat teams that aren't in front of you. You do still have to take advantage of those opportunities. Florida is an opportunity for them. You know, the danger to me is looking ahead or thinking somehow that, oh, Florida, how'd they get here? Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, Rod Brindamore is a process guy and uh, I'm, I'm eager to talk to Rod because we all associate with Rod, the, the tutelage from Peter Laviolette, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the DNA is the exact same there of it's about the process, not the result and, and right down to the systems that they play. But, you know, Rod, uh, Rod did play for Paul Maurice, who we've talked to Eric Cole about. If you missed that, check that out on our YouTube page, of course. And, and, and Eric said, 
Mo was straightforward. Mo was honest. We know that Rod is the same way. Rod actually has a little bit more polish than Mo, though. Yes. Well, I mean, Mo is one of my all-time favorites. But, but. man, it won't, if you got on the wrong side of Mo, <laughs> you were on the wrong side. for you, You're talking about Rutherford holding a grudge. Woo-hoo. Goodness. What's up next? What's up next? Do, uh, let's do a little housekeeping here. Uh, first off, shout out to uh, my friends Aaron and Anna over at SoundOff. They're helping with the graphics. So you'll, you'll see that on the YouTube. Uh, and also, uh, shout out to the News and Observer who we have partnered with, Joe. Time is a flat circle, Joe. You worked at the News and Observer for 24 years. Now we're partnering with the News and Observer to get our content out there. Yeah, I'm really excited about this move for us in in the sense that you love to say bootstraps energy, and I'm always <laughs> tweaking you a little bit. Like, can't we make this look just a little bit better? Like, can't we, can't we put a little bit of effort in one or two things? And you're like, no, 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 it's about the content. And I ultimately... In our three years together, I agree with you. It is about the content, but this move allows us to work with the News and Observer and their talented people. Uh, obviously, Ethan Hyman, Robert Willett, their outstanding photographers, Scott Sharp, Kevin Keister, you name it. And mm-hmm. you'll see some different things that we do with them. And then, of course, their writers. You know, we'll, we'll do some work with them on this and some other different projects that we'll do. You know, Luke DeCock. Andrew Carter, Brooke Kane, Josh Schaefer. These are all people that I'm, and Steve Wiseman. These are all people Mm -hmm. that I'm looking forward to talking to and kind of sharing uh, some different content and some different ideas on really on a platform, you know, that gives us better exposure. Yeah, no, it should be a lot of fun. And uh, as I told Brooke, you know, I've always had a good relationship with the News and Observer, uh, even though we were working for competing organizations for a very long time, at least throughout my entire career. Uh, but obviously, colleagues have turned into friends like you and Luke uh, and Andrew. And, you know, I go all the way back to your mentor, Colton Tudor, who was always incredibly nice to me when I was first starting out. So, uh, again, it's one of those time is a flat circle type situations. Uh, and I'm looking forward to working with the News and Observer going forward, just like I'm looking forward to working with the Raleigh Times as well. Uh, we got uh, how many how many entries do we have for this uh, Sunday ticket thing, man? We're, we're at we're at a pretty considerable amount right now. Yeah, we're, we're over 300. So today awesome. we will draw our first uh, entrant. We'll have that on our YouTube short today. Uh, speaking of the Rally Times, they have every Tuesday beer and banjos at the Rally Times. That's 630. It's local blue, bluegrass talent. It's a nice little music showcase. Check them out. It's upstairs at the Times, downtown Raleigh on Fayette, off of Fayetteville Street there. So go please check them out, RaleighTimesBar.com. Another thing that we'll be able to do on this podcast, the last bit of uh, housekeeping uh, is, you know, we've got a lot of people who are signing on to be part of that Bang Bang Joe gang. Uh, Raleigh Times is part of that, as we know, Mosquito Authority. And it allows us to have conversations uh, with guys like Jim Roberts, uh, who's part of an entrepreneurial group in Wilmington. Here's a bit of that conversation. Cool thing about this podcast project is that we get to connect with really cool people. And that includes Jim Roberts, founder Network for Entrepreneurs in Wilmington. Now, Jim, I'll be honest. I think Wilmington, I think beach, and I think great breweries, but there's a heck of a lot more going on in Wilmington these days. Uh, yeah. So what we have going on is we're, we've started an entrepreneur support organization eight years ago called the Network for Entrepreneurs in Wilmington. And our goal is to create better startups and hopefully they'll create better jobs for the citizens and the graduates of UNCW and Cape Fear Community College. And uh, there's always been kind of an underemployment problem. There's always a joke that we have the best um, educated wait staff in America because people kind of want to live at the beach and they'll sacrifice anything they have to, including their career, to be able to surf every day or enjoy the weather at the coast and whatever that is. So Uh, We created this independent nonprofit, which is very similar to other cities in North Carolina that have a similar organization. And this is a formal start of the startup ecosystem. And we've had some real success. We had three companies that had a big, what we call a successful exit, including Encino, which most people are aware of, kind of fintech software. Untapped is a company that you, Joe, as a beer drinker, have used before, mm-hmm. and another company called Player Space, which was a way to register your kids for YMCA sports leagues. 
And those three companies had a big exit and uh, we're trying to grow on that uh, success. And recently, just as last year, we were named the number one startup ecosystem in the country for cities under 300,000 people. Now, you're probably wondering how we've done that. And that is, um, we don't have the same competition that Raleigh has. We actually have the largest monthly attendance of any startup event in the whole state of North Carolina. We take over Ironclad Brewery, and our last event had 185 people. And the month before that, 165 people. So we get really big audiences, and it's not just because of the beer, but the the quality of the topics that we have at our events. How can people get in contact with you? Sure. Our website is newilm.com. I'm easy to find on LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, so would love to hear from people who are native to Wilmington who have moved away for career opportunities or UNCW graduates who thought they had to move away. And we're just kind of doing a homecoming campaign to say, if you ever wanted to return to the beach, we have the jobs available for you. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Again, big thanks to Jim uh, for joining us. ACC meetings are this week in Amelia Island. They actually get going today, Joe. And um, I feel like Florida State wants to move on the way they've been talking as of late. Their new uh, their new athletic director, Mike Alford, has been there two years. Uh, the way that dude's talking, he's getting chesty. He's getting chesty with it. He wants his money, Joe, and that's going to be the hot topic at ACC meetings. Uh, unequal revenue share uh, being the hot topic. I know North Carolina wants it. We've talked to AD Bubba Cunningham about that. Uh, but he's been a little bit more behind the scenes with it. Florida State's been out front. They want the financials to change because they feel they're a big dog in this conference. Yeah, something's going to have to change with Florida State and Clemson. Uh, you and I have talked before about how I think it's fair to say, and we're not wearing a tinfoil hat when we say this as NC State grads, that North Carolina and Duke have pretty much run the ACC from the jump. And yes. there has been a seismic shift in power, not just because John Swafford is no longer the, the, the commissioner, which you know was slightly overblown when it come, came to his Carolina connections, but also because of a turnover in, in the balance of power, right? And also what matters to the league. The league forever was a basketball league. Well, mm -hmm. the, the truth of the matter is now in college sports, you better have your football right. The ACC has improved its football. It has. That is fair to say. But some of these schools, Florida State and Clemson, on top on the top of that list, would like for their revenue to change. Now, where and how do you do that? You and I have discussed that the real move here for the ACC is to start paying the players, is to cut yeah. them into the media rights. And yeah. I don't see a shift towards that. I read the Athletic article this week about a group of five coaches basically saying how – uh, about tampering and and how you know bigger the power five schools are basically poaching their rosters the eastern michigans the akrons the max the uh, even the aacs of the world are like what the heck are we supposed to do overcoming a feeder system and yeah. i read that article thinking to myself hey guys all you got to do is take our idea now their media rights isn't as great as what the acc has but obviously the acc is so far behind the big 10 so far behind the sec that Florida State, short of joining the Big Ten, because I got news for you, uh, Joe and AD at Florida State, the SEC doesn't want you. Florida doesn't want okay. you. Okay, they do not let's, want you in your league. Let, so let's the, get so to you that. better go. You better you get got, nice to whoever's going to be running the Big Ten. You got to the heart of the issue, and at some point, Jim Phillips or another AD is going to have to pull Mike Alford aside and be like, "Buddy." You're, you're stuck until the grant yeah. of rights runs out and then you're going to be scrambling with everybody else. So let's circle back on what Mike Alford said. He did an interview with Warchant and doubled down on something they had talked about three months ago. Remember that board of trustees meeting where they talked about financials and everything else and he was asked questions about the grant of rights and we had to kind of put the hammer down on, buddy, I don't think you understand how the grant of rights works, which is weird considering you're in charge. But this is the quote. There's so many choice quotes, but this is the first one. From Alford to Warchant, quote, I make no bones about it that we're the top brand in the conference. And when you look at how they measure media contracts with households, viewership and championships, 
We're driving that viewership for our conference at a high rate. That is a bold statement for a program that hasn't won the Atlantic Division since 2014 and then saw the bottom fallout in the Jimbo Fisher era. And they finally seemed like they've got something going with Mike Norvell. But who knows if last year wasn't fool's gold. Again, they had a really great season. They won 10 games, but they did not take advantage of a down Clemson year that Clemson took their corners back last year. So when you say that you're the top, no, you're not. You are absolutely not right now, and you haven't been for almost 10 years. And then here's the quote that really makes me mad, and I might actually curse for the first time on the podcast. Alford said, quote, I've made it abundantly clear that there's a $30 million gap with the SEC, essentially what he's saying, that's starting next season. And that can't go on for years because then you just can't catch up. buddy." I got news for you. You're never catching up. We talked about this with Bubba Cunningham, the AD at North Carolina a few months ago, Joe. And remember, I kind of pushed back because he's he's for this. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah. how much more money do you think you're going to get an unequal revenue share? Three million, four million, five at best? Is that five million really going to close the gap with the SEC? No. Which then gets me to my ads in other schools looking at Mike at Mike Alford going, all right, like call the bluff. I'm looking for an ad to call bullshit on Mike Alford and the way that he's talking. What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? What's your leverage? You're going to test the grant of rights when that goes until 2036. You got a group of schools that's willing to test it with you because remember we talked to a lawyer about this. You would need like at least a third of the schools to truly challenge the grant of rights. You got those numbers? You don't. Yeah. And yeah. what promises can you make? Oh, okay, we got what we wanted. Are you still going to try to have backdoor channel conversations with the SEC? Of course you are. Look at what Texas and Oklahoma did. They got every Texas got everything they wanted. Still couldn't win in the Big 12. Didn't participate in the college football championships despite the fact all of the money they were making and they still left for the SEC and they never talked out loud about it. And that gets to your point, Joe. FSU's talking way too much out loud to be a school that truly feels like they've got some sort of interest from another conference. You don't talk like that if you actually are making moves behind the scene. It's clout chasing. Yeah. That's all Alford's doing. He is clout chasing for his constituent constituents, and they get on Twitter and they argue with other ACC fans. It's the dumbest thing, and I want people to call them out on it. Yeah, if you're sitting on a monster, if you have a secret deal with the Big Ten, to be clear, that would be their path. Would be that for would the Big be, Ten yes. to, to, you know, which is now in California. Let's not put it past them to go into Florida. Uh, I, I'd say no SEC because Florida, Alabama, and Georgia would, would have no interest in propping up another monster, right? Like, think of it that way. The SEC thinks so little of Texas and Oklahoma. Texas, the richest school in the country, in the best recruiting spot in the country. They think so little of them that yeah. they've added them. Think about that. Think about that. Okay. It's kind of, it hurts your brain a little bit. It, it kind of does. You start it thinking about it. Now, yes. money, money helps, Joe. Money definitely helps, but it's not the only answer. Because look at Ohio State. Look at Texas. You know, they regularly spend the most money. And Ohio State had a championship with Urban Meyer. But before that, you got to go back to the 70s. And, and then the same with Texas. Yeah, they won one with Mac Brown. But before that, mm -hmm. you got to go back to the 70s. So, yes, money matters, but at some point, coaching and the, the right structure takes you, takes you to that title. Next topic, please. Oh, well, back to the old topic, the Carolina Hurricanes. Mike Metascalco, Canes play-by-play, Valley Sports, joining us now here on Obvious and Julio. Uh, what, are you, what are you drinking there, Mike? Coffee. Oh, you're not going brown liquor like I did at 842 in the first podcast episode? Uh... I could if you want me to. I mean, but. why not? It's a podcast. We don't have to worry about FCC rules anymore, man. Uh, actually, do you need the – I'm surprised it's not T, considering that you about lost your voice on that OT winner in the last series on Thursday night, man. You like – it was it was from the dive. You let it out, man. That was a lot of fun. Uh, when you get an OT winner, it's got to come from the soul. That's what I believe. So <laughs> I'm, I'm fortunate, honestly, in, in my uh, brief run, I've had – five OT winners in the playoffs that I've called Jordan Stahl in 2019. I got to take over uh, for the radio gig because uh, it was a, a simulcast. They yeah. just put off to that. And the first game I ever called was an OT winner, uh, Jordan Stahl. And then 
you go to the Nashville series, Jordan Stahl again, and then Sebastian Ajo, but we were calling it off of a monitor, so I can totally uh, sympathize with Joe Bowen, the Toronto play-by-play voice who was getting a little bit of heck, uh, not his fault when you're calling it off of a monitor and you're waiting for a replay. Yeah. Uh, you, you get what you can get. Um, and then Jesper Faust with an OT winner. I mean, God, gosh, I think I might have more than that. And then uh, another winner from from Jesper Faust and OT. In fact, I do. I think I've got like six or seven now. I've lost track. <laughs> they just game. Do it so when the Canes go to yeah. overtime, the game is over, right? Everybody knows this. The game seven and zero right now. Yeah. Although Joe, you single. had a stat where single it's got to be single, right? It's got to be a single. No, none of those multiple overtime games. You don't want any of those. Correct. Those become a problem. Yeah. But, on, Mike, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the. Let's talk a little bit about the Florida Panthers because I remember going to a game last season when they were just blazing hot, blasting through the NHL. And Joe and I were arguing about here are the Canes piddling along. And I'm like, this is the team you want to look like. This is what you want to be. And sure enough, they end up losing in the, you know, they lost in the playoffs. They're gone as the president's trophy. Uh, But Paul Maurice comes in. So you have a different coach. And then they made a significant trade, you know, with Huberto going to Calgary, Kachuk coming in. And I think it took them basically all regular season. And correct me if I'm wrong here to figure out how to kind of reconfigure who they were. Uh, and then obviously they lo- they lost Giroux to a guy who they made a deal. Everybody wants to make deals at the deadline. You know, they picked up Giroux, who ends up, you know, signing with a different team. He goes to Ottawa. So it's not the same team that we saw last year. And I'm still trying to wrap my brain around that. But I still think they're probably more talented than your normal eighth seed or, or last team in, into the bracket, right? No, absolutely. And, and I'm glad you brought up last year, Joe, because everybody is – conveniently forgotten how good this team was last year. And it, I mean, losing Claude Giroux, who they, they saw, you know, they made the trade for from Philly last year as they tried to push their, their chips in the middle of the table. And again, that we could do a topic on for everybody's like, we gotta make moves at the deadline to show me the last team that made a major move at the trade deadline giving up a ton of assets and it paid just off at them. me mike just at me because i was that person it's like they got 10 million dollars put the hammer down let's go let's go get a dude joe i i wanted to congratulate you on your unbelievable season coaching the miami dolphins i don't want to bring up anything else that you do. <laughs> I'm, I'm not here to i'm not here to throw shade although evidently where i've set up for this interview I, i'm in the shadiest spot of my house i don't know how it's that fine. happened it's fine. Uh, it's fine but but no to, to that point to julio this is still a good florida team and uh it's funny the last game of the year the hurricanes you know florida needed to win to make sure that they got into the playoffs the hurricanes needed to win to make sure they won uh the metro division and, and had the two seed in the eastern conference but we were talking to Paul Maurice about it and Hey, you know, when did it start to click? And he goes, look, new coach, big trade rooms, different things take time for the plan to come together. But if you take a look around middle of January, the Panthers got it because last year they were running gun. And, you know, they, they had a weird year last year with the whole Joel Quinville situation and what happened in Chicago. And he had to lose his job and Andrew Burnett took over and Andrew Burnett, first year head coach at, at any level, kind of let the, the players have the freedom to do what they want to do. That's why you saw this team that was so fast and going mm-hmm. up the ice and scoring goals. Um, but then Paul Maurice gets brought in to bring structure to the game. Hey, you know, it, that doesn't work in the playoffs. And he said around January, it really all fell into place for this team. And then they've gotten to that point. And, and we've talked about this, guys, in, in other lifetimes. Uh, goaltending matters, and they right now have good Sergei Bobrovsky. And when you have the good Sergei Bobrovsky, you've got a chance of of winning uh, anybody who you play against. And and that's been the case. And it's funny. Take a look. They beat Boston. They beat Toronto. These two running gun teams, and they beat them by being able to to lock them down a little bit. So mm-hmm. this is by no means, guys. If and I'll, I'll go on record. This is not a short series. Neither one of these teams is winning this series in four or five games. This is going six. The question yeah. is, will it go seven? Well, Mike Maniscalco hanging out with us here. I I don't think the Canes are capable of really making short series either, uh, just from kind of like the nature of the, the way that they play. Uh, it's on depth. No, 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 no. That got – let's be honest about that last game, okay? 
Let's be honest about the last game. Yes, they just had one, but it went to overtime. I mean, coming off of the the wildness of how they were just scoring at will on a shaky goaltender situation in New Jersey, I was somewhat surprised they did not kind of continue the same thing at home. That's my point. Um, I will say this about Florida, though. They are older and the running gun and all that stuff that you mentioned, but you could make the argument that the Hurricanes and the way that they play and they keep just once they kind of get in that mode, I don't think that Florida can keep up. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure they can uh, beyond that. Goaltending aside, I don't think they can. I think the Canes and the way that they play is completely different from how Boston and Toronto is playing. And Joe, to Joe's point about how second round vibes are different, I mean, it's one you got the curse of the president's trophy, but you also had Toronto coming off the oh my goodness, we finally did this. Now what? Like, what do we do? And Florida took advantage of that. I don't think that the Hurricanes are in that kind of mode. I think this is one of those five years of buildup, an an experienced team, a veteran team that understands the opportunity that's in front of them. I mean, I'm sure when you talk to these guys, they understand the opportunity that's in front of them. And I don't see Rod Burnamore letting that room let let go of that fact. No, and and the room won't let go of that fact either. Uh, And I think that's part of it. You know, I, I, I don't know where you guys side on, you know, the process in, in pro sports and after what happened to 76ers, maybe not the 76ers. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but I, I do think that there is at some point when you have a young core of players who go through what the Canes have done, not, not what Toronto has done where it's first round and out, Hmm. but 2019, they go to the conference final. You know, this is again, the only team in the NHL the last five years to win a postseason series. I have to say that because the NHL doesn't want us to call what, the first round of the bubble uh, playoff games, but whatever it was, their playoff stats, but they weren't playoff games. Um, <laughs> that's a whole nother thing that <laughs> podcasters get into. Um, but they're the only team to have won a series five consecutive years. The only team to do that. But there's points to it. You know, you beat Nashville, you go to the second round, then you play the two-time champion Tampa Bay Lightning, and you see how they play. And you're like, oh, that's that's different. You know, when they played Boston, oh, that's that's different. And you, you file those things in the memory banks. And now this group with the pieces they have, and I'm, I'm not talking about Jordan Stahl or even Brent Burns. This is Sebastian Ajo, Jacob Slavin, Brett Pesci, those guys who they've, they've built around Marty Natchez to a degree, those guys who have come through the system, who kind of won in either the minors or have gone through this process. They now look and go, okay, this is what it takes. You know, Jersey looks like them a few years ago. That's one of the comparisons that I was got. I'm like, oh, Jersey's not as tight defensively, but I get what people are talking about, a young group that's got to go through it. Well, this is the the wiser group now, and we'll see how that plays out. The one thing, though, this Florida team, when you got a guy like Alexander Barkoff, and then you've got Matthew Kachuk up front, and then they have these other pieces, it's going to be tough. But I, I just think, again, the, the Canes – are not going to go, oh, well, we're in the conference finals. Yay. Let's, you know, crack out the champagne. Right. No, no, no. The, the goal is the goal is to get past this point. Um, and and they all know it. Nobody in that room is patting anybody on the back. I, and seeing this as a podcast, I I would use the, uh, the Winston Wolf line from Pulp Fiction. You know, when they got the cars clean, let's. Oh, not, oh. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Yes. Just yet. Um, I already but, cursed once on today's podcast. That's, I don't want to tick off the news and observer already. So let's, no, let's it's, chill it's, out. So. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it like that, <laughs> that room, there is not an iota of satisfaction with what they've done. Yeah. Enjoyment, yes, but no satisfaction. Speaking of pieces of the Panthers, Eric Stahl is one of them. Joe and I opened this podcast and I said, best hockey player. Let's not get any other stuff. Eric Stahl is the best hockey player to play for the Carolina Hurricanes franchise. Where do you, where do you fall on that argument? Um, if, if we did the vote right now, yeah, I'd, I'd have a, I'd have a hard time not voting him in the top three. I think Rod Brindamore overall as a player. Um, I mean, it, we can put this into to different sections, like best drafted player. Yeah, um, sure. For my money, for the, the player who the Canes drafted. Yeah. But you know, Rod Brindamore, Ron Francis are, are, you know, for me, one and two uh, talent-wise for this team. But right up there is Jacob Slavin. You know, he doesn't have the sexy numbers. Sebastian Ajo is, is on this list. It's But you know what's the good thing about it now? And I don't want to seem like I'm a shill here for the organization, but 
there's a history. You can actually have a debate yeah. of, of it where I think it a few years ago, Joe, if we were talking about this, I could say Brenda Moore, Francis, Stahl. And those are the three that we're voting on. And that's mm -hmm. it. Now you can add uh, a couple more names. But uh, this it, is it where we get into the intangibles, though. Right. Because I could make it to your point. You're absolutely right. It's awesome and appropriate. I think that the Hurricanes are playing the Florida Panthers, a team that features a former coach two times over and a former captain who's part of a Stanley Cup run. Um, it all part of their 25th anniversary season. And we can have this debate because I don't think it's a controversial thing to say that his brother, Jordan Stahl, has been more impactful with what this iteration of the Canes is post 2006 stall and it's really no fault of his own there's all sorts of other factors that go yes. into it but unfortunately for stall he was he was part of some of the dark times for the carolina hurricanes unfortunately before he finally got traded away and stall has been part of a core group that's really helped revitalize what this franchise is and that's going to elevate him in my book yeah i mean again that's i think the good part about that that question or, or yeah. putting that on the table is there are so many different things that we can point to and say this i i will always come down on the side of, of Eric Stahl to what you just said, Joe, you, you sometimes you are just in a bad situation and, yep. and you know, it's the Canes tried, but it was never like building. It was okay. We've got a, we got a hole in a wall here and we got a heater that doesn't work, <laughs> which is the best solution, which should we fix first and which are we yeah. going to not ignore or throw, you know, the, the least bit of attention to it. They never got the, the full pieces there. Uh, and, and the one thing for Eric and being around him um, in, in that situation, he, when you talk about intangibles, he cared far more than what people, I think, tried to paint him as, as the yeah. cap. He was far more fiery than people thought he was behind closed doors with uh, what he did. But, you know, again, it, it's there's only so much one player can do. It's, it's funny because last night, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl guys get get eliminated right these are the two best players in the world yep and you know people today why can't Connor mcdavid win well you know it takes it takes 17 other guys it's not just on one guy and it takes a goalie um and i think eric and uh, there are a couple of guys in in that in that dark time mm -hmm. uh, that you take a look and you say oh well they didn't do this and they didn't do that well it's kind of hard to win when you're you're just one guy trying to carry it. And, and that sounds unfair when I say that, because there were some good groups, but my proof for Eric Stahl, when you got to the playoffs, he was there. You know, he wasn't a, a guy who just put up regular season numbers, although there was only two appearances. Mm -hmm. six, oh, nine. Um, but it's, I, I like, I like conversations like this. Cause again, you want to go intangibles. You want to go what they meant to the franchise. You want to go what they did on the ice. There, there's so many different avenues to, to roll down with it. Mike Maniscalco, play-by-play, -play, Valley Sports. Uh, Mike, we appreciate the time. We're, Joe and I are going to make a rare appearance at practice today. How exciting is that? Oh, my goodness. We got time. Can't wait, can't wait to see you guys. We there. have time now. We can we can kind of hang out in the afternoon now. All right, that's fun? Isn't it fun to – It's guys, it's, let me not use the word fun. Okay, we'll edit this one. <laughs> uh, oh, this is all live to tape, my yeah. dude. It's oh all live to tape. It's kind of fun. Right. I mean, it is. No, no. It's uh, the, word would be, the word would be liberating. Good point. That's that's a very good way of putting it. There's a reason why you do play by play, Mike. All right, man. We'll talk to you later. Anytime. Thanks for having me on, guys. <laughs> that's Mike Maniscalco, Kane's play by play here on with uh, Ovius and Jillio. All right. Uh, before we move on to our next topic, uh, we want to uh, do a little shout here as uh, people have been joining us on this Ovias and Gilio experience. Uh, we got Whitaker and Hamer, Joe. Tell me a little bit more about Whitaker and Hamer. If you're watching on YouTube, we got the phone number up. We got the website, wh.lawyer, www.wh.lawyer, attorneys and counselors at law. What do we got going on, Joe? Yeah, Josh Whitaker, Joe Hamer, they have business lawyers, they have offices in Garner here locally, Raleigh, Clayton, Fuquay, Verena, oh, Gastonia, it makes, it, Moorhead. It makes so much more sense now. You haven't seen Garner. Now I totally got it. Yeah, I mean, Josh is my guy. Come on now. But <laughs> 20 years of experience. Uh, again, Fuquay, Gastonia, Moorhead City, Goldsboro. They, if you're starting a business, you're selling a business. They do family law, divorce, custody cases, real estate, closings. If you're buying a house, again, you name it, Josh and Joe do it. They also have their own podcast, Joe. 
outlaw lawyers. They they work with uh, one of our former friends, Morgan Patrick, on their podcast. So check them out. Awesome. Whitaker and Hamer. Yeah. So it's www.wh.lawyer. Josh Whitaker, Joe Hamer. Appreciate them coming on board here with us on the OG Live Podcasting Company. And also shout out to the Mosquito Authority and Pest Authority. Uh, they've been on with us since day one. So we appreciate that. If you've got any, right now is mosquito time. Uh, I can't recommend yes. Mosquito Authority enough. Gosh. It is mosquito time. You got to take care of it now. Uh, they come out to my place and they do the monthly treatments. It's like basically a guy with a leaf blower that has like, you know, again, it's, it's, it's everything's safe. You know, kids can go out there and play. And I hang out in the backyards with our neighbor, Nick and Sabrina. Yeah. And yeah, pets, everything else. So you're not dealing with, because where I live, I got moisture control issues and it's a mosquito breeding ground. So thankfully, Mosquito Authority and Pest Authority can take care of that. No contracts either. Uh, and you can check it out, bugsbite.com. What's up next? What's up next? Joe, I know you're excited. You know why you're excited? Because I'm going to talk golf. Are you ready to talk golf? Oh, did you think just because, did you think just because we're moving to this YouTube podcast thing that we weren't going to talk golf? Absolutely not. We are all in on the golf. Maybe it unleashes a new golf appreciation here on the show, right? So here's 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 the, the long and short of it, right? Last week, uh, 2A Golf Mideast Regional Match. This is part of the North Carolina High School Athletic Association Championships, uh, which are actually this week. But the lead-ups, the regional match, uh, Midway High School, their leader, Logan Atkins, defending state champ, Shot a 76. This is from uh, this is from the Sampson Independent out in Clinton. He shot a 76, earning third place and good enough to send him back to the state games to defend his title, as well as Midway as a squad in search of their second school title. However, problems with the scorecard signed by Atkins and his playing partner. While both reading a final score of 76 for Atkins, they did not match. It wasn't until the scorecards were signed and submitted that Atkins noticed that his playing partner had incorrectly scored one hole. The total scores had been added correctly, but Atkins felt he needed to report the error. The North Carolina High School Athletic Association disqualified Atkins, nullifying his scores, and had also uh, that had also qualified Midway to compete as a team, thus disqualifying them from state competition as well. This, of course, has led to some online scuttlebutt. And the North Carolina High School Athletic Association straight up says, well, these are USGA rules. Joe, you know me. I am not a golf aficionado. But when I see incorrect scorecard signage, even I know, oh, like that's one of the golden rules of golf. Honesty, being upfront, being correct. And there have been some really brutal situations on the pro level where these incorrect scorecards uh, or somebody catching somebody doing something during a broadcast will bite you in the ass. So I saw this initially and I thought to myself, okay, this makes sense. What's the controversy? Well, I did not know that the North Carolina High School Athletic Association doesn't use the USGA rules all the time. And a former high school golfer, Quentin Toller, now joining us here on Obias and Julio, reached out to me on Twitter. Quentin, what's going on, man? And, and you explained to me, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not just as simple as USGA rules, man. It's a little bit more complicated than that. So what, what is going on here, Quentin? Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me be on, man. I'm trying not to be uh, too geeked out right now with some legends in the Raleigh area <laughs> growing up here. But um, no, I think first things first, I want to get ahead and say, I don't think you can rescind anything right now. It would be tacky. It would look poorly. I want to, I don't want to be on that side of the argument. Yeah, sure. Totally get that. Totally. But I think what ends up happening is, is that we don't follow things to protocol. The USGA lays out um, scoring operations that could prevent these things from happening. And I think if the athletic association that we get in high school push that onto our coaches, um, we could avoid this. And I know it can happen because it happened to me. I got disqualified from a tournament in high school at South Johnston. Um, I can kind of go into that if you want, but really it's just what the part that I have the biggest kind of issue with is, is governing bodies at each tournament have the flexibility to adapt and do things how they see fit, right? Double par max was a rule that our co our coaches conference did, right? And then there was double par max, and then there was a pickup, right? You would circle the double par, which means you actually had to pick up your ball. You would hit seven out of bounds or whatever <laughs> um, versus the, well, I actually made a double par. I putted in the hole and made an eight. 
those governing bodies, which are the coaches at each conference match and then your regional match or whatever, they have the ability to have some play there of what they choose to do. I'm not saying that we should not enforce the USGA rules. I just wish that there was a more consensus that actually followed the scoring procedure that is laid out by the USGA that would completely prevent, maybe not completely, but would prevent what I would consider to be useless disqualification, scoring errors, math not being added right. Um, just verbatim from the interpretation of the rules, it lays out how you could do this. And my high school coach did it after my senior year. I got disqualified my senior year. Um, you get eight conference matches and I lost one of them. And so I wasn't able to drop that highest score like the rest of the people. I missed all conference by one stroke. So um, obviously I was upset, but there's things we could do differently. My coach has done it since I left South. And it's been 10 years since I graduated. I'm getting getting up there now. But um, in those 10 years, he hasn't had a disqualification since. Um, and if these things happen, I don't think Midway has that disqualification. And go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Let's start at the beginning for people who don't know. Even on the PGA <laughs> Tour, you, you don't keep your own score. Correct. Yeah. The you person you're playing your with. Yeah. Yeah. You keep their score, and then at the end, you look at your cards together mm -hmm. and submit. Correct. And, and even on the counting, high school level, and, and you're counting on them to be true. That's the whole point of golf. It's it's this trust and uh, the idea of being completely truthful with what you're seeing. Although you emailed me and gave me <laughs> some instances where that wasn't playing out at the high school level, and there are some like shenanigans taking place. Absolutely. There's uh, there's two instances that stick out particular one of which I'll talk about uh, being my sophomore year. Uh, we were in a bunker situation. Guy across the green was in the bunker, and I couldn't confirm, but it looked like something had happened with some sand being on his backswing, uh, moving. But I couldn't confirm it. I put it on his shoulders to call it on himself. Golfer B said nothing. He did nothing. Mm -hmm. Waited until after the scorecards were signed to then present that issue to his coach, which led to a disqualification. Um, and it's almost, it was a feeling and it's, and I'm not saying, and I'm not going to say it's the, you know, every conference, every you know school deals with this, but it's something that I experienced for four years. It felt like a weapon of a disqualification by certain competitors. Um, and even to go as far as maybe say some of the coaches knew that, Hey, if this was it, you're getting disqualified. And I just felt like in that environment, you never know when strokes come down to it, you know, high school kids, 14, 18 years old. Uh, they can be ruthless, and you're putting a lot of trust in them to do it. But I definitely saw it happen, um, and it affected you know my chances of it. But I'm not sure. You know, you can't always prove intent. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. so the kids knew it though. They knew that it's a you know cut and dry rule. You you sign the scorecard incorrectly, you're you're getting disqualified. And I'm not arguing that rule isn't true. I just think there's things that there's safeguards we could put in place to protect the kids. You know, that's what I think the association that should be the motivation there. When you get to the regional or state level, is there an assigned official for each group or how does that work? Is it the coaches kind of keeping an eye on the players? Because I know yeah. during the regular season, it is truly the honor code. And some people are confused right now. And I, I yeah. totally get that because the PGA Tour is on TV. <laughs> All of these <laughs> events are on TV and they keep track of the score for you in real time. But with these events, it truly is after each hole, you go to the person that was assigned to keep your score. And you're keeping their score and you say, hey, what'd you get? Oh, par, bogey, you know, write it down, get to the end. Usually, I mean, I would say what, 95% of the time there's no disputes? Yeah, I would say that's pretty fair um, to probably, you know, obviously I don't know. And at the state tournament level, um, it could be different. I didn't get to experience it uh, too much. My golf in high school was pretty mediocre. But um, <laughs> I think when you get – for the most part, in every event I saw um, that I went to state events, because one of my good buddies played in the state championship, uh, there was no real score. You're depending on that competitor who you're competing against to do it the right way. Um, and I could, to I, you know, I, I sympathize with the midway golfer. You know, it's very easy to look at it and be like, oh, yeah, you wrote 76 as my total. So, yeah, I'll just sign it. The problem is, is like you said, you, sh you should really confirm your score after every hole. Um, and you know, there's so many different avenues you could go. I remember being a freshman and playing with like this older senior guy. And I was like, that was a bogey. Right. And he was like, no, that was a, that was a par. And I'm like 14 years old and he's like huge. And I'm, ah, man, I'm really not going to call. I didn't want to cause any issues, but I yeah. wanted to push the narrative narrative that I didn't, 
think he was being honest, but I was like, I'm not going to cause any drama. It didn't matter. He shot or whatever, but it does, it does matter. Um, and there needs to be a place for the players to discuss that. And the USGA lays that out. Um, and, but I, the sad thing is, is it doesn't happen at pretty much any conference matches outside of like my coach. I know he does that now, um, but you don't see it. And obviously if it, if it happened at regionals, this wouldn't happen. This DQ wouldn't happen. Well, Quentin, uh, I appreciate you reaching out. Uh, this is the this is the beauty of what we can do now uh, in this new adventure. Is that hey, look, I only know so much about golf. You quickly came in and were like, eh, it's not quite like that. And it's a it's <laughs> proof. It's proof that Twitter can lead to productive conversations. Okay, this was this was me making a point, getting Quentin on to be like, all right, let's get a better understanding of what's happening on the high school level. And I think a lot of people kind of need to hear this rather than getting into the. The, the high level conversations about what rules and what things apply. Cause at the high school level, it's clearly not the same. Uh, Quentin, appreciate it, man. Thanks for reaching out. Thanks for listening. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it, man. If anything comes out of this, I just want them to know, like, you know, I don't know if you guys have kids playing golf or not, but if they lay the scoring out, right, where each golfer met with a coach or a committee member and went through the holes all together, didn't sign their cards until they confirmed it, they could do this. There's eight coaches at every conference match, give or take. They could sit down and verify these scores, keep these kids in play, let them post scores. Uh, they only get so many. So I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me come and chat with you guys. All right, Quentin, take it easy. Move on. All right, we will move on and we'll close the show on some NBA, Joe. I feel like, I, look, I'll admit, I've been caught up with what's going on with the Carolina Hurricanes, um, kind of keeping an eye on what's going on with the ACC meetings, all things that we talked about earlier today. But dabbling in the NBA playoffs, I felt like this weekend, starting with the Lakers advancing past the Golden State Warriors and culminating in last night's just choke job by the Philadelphia 76ers, that it was a weekend of schadenfreude, right? It was people dunking on LeBron haters, which here they are back to the conference finals after there have been so much hand-wringing about LeBron's place in the game, his age, Anthony Davis's health and everything else. You know, could they make the moves to get back to the spot? Here they are. And it happened against the Golden State Warriors. And you wonder about their window and the season that could have been had it not started literally with a punch uh, from Draymond Green. And then the process, 10 years of the process. And I feel, I feel like there's two conversations about what happened in Philadelphia. There's the stupidity of the process and it being nearly a, a, a decade of this resulting in zero, zero. And Doc Rivers, who, speaking of 10, has now 10 consecutive losses in games that would have advanced him to the conference finals going all the way back to his time with the Clippers. So it really was a schadenfreude type weekend in the NBA for all these results. Yeah. Amazing to think about where the Lakers were just two months ago. And, you know, a lot of credit has to go to Darvin Ham in how they've had, they've changed how they play defensively. Now you got to go back to Rob Palenka, their GM, who everybody was just murdering at oh, the yeah. beginning of this season and the moves that they made, they're a completely different team, not only with D'Angelo Russell, but with Dennis Schroeder coming off the bench. You know, I've talked to you often about how important it is to have a second unit, and the Lakers have really augmented their bench since the deadline. That's that's obviously Austin Reeves, and there's some other little stories there. But the truth of the matter is they got better at the deadline, and Darvin Ham has had to do amazing work to get those pieces to fit together in a short amount of time. Now this gets us to the Phil Jackson equation. Well, how hard is it to really coach the best players? Well, it is. <laughs> and you're just going to have to trust me. Talk to Eric Spolstra about that. That's another story yeah. that's come out of it, that finally Eric Spolstra, he should have gotten his flowers already, especially in the bubble. Yes. But those flowers are starting to really come in with yet another conference finals appearance with the Miami Heat with a completely different group. And speaking of the bubble, I'm fascinated that we now have the same final four that we had in the bubble, you know, yeah. during when the bubble was going on and LeBron was winning, there were some people who were kind of like, well, it's, it's not a real, it's the, it's the uh, Disney title, blah, 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 blah. Listen, <laughs> that was pure basketball. That it was, was pure effing basketball. And the, the site didn't matter. There was nobody there affecting the referees. There was, it was just hoop. And I am now fascinated as like a controlled setting, test setting, right? How will this play out differently? Mm -hmm. How will it look differently? Will Denver, uh, who has been consistently the best team in the West, 
Will they be able to overcome LeBron by having that home court advantage? You look on the other side with Heat culture and and Miami and Boston getting together again in this situation. You know, Miami slightly shorthanded. Hat tip to Boston. You know, a lot of people were like, what did Brad Stevens do to become their GM? How did he earn that spot? Other than being obviously a fairly brilliant basketball mind. I said this at the time when the Nets were trying to trade Kevin Durant and people were like, well, they, the Celtics should trade Jalen Brown or Jason Tate. Why? They outplayed yeah. Kevin Durant in last year's yeah. playoffs. They don't need Kevin Durant. So hat tip to Brad Stevens and the Celtics for, for standing well, pat and really kind of going through some coaching turmoil there, losing their head coach, Joe Mazzola. You know, Mazzola has done a good job. He, he's mm-hmm. made some mistakes and some missteps. But you look at the way that they played in those last two games, this, the Celtics have been a prohibitive favorite to win this title. Um, I won't, I can't even jinx myself at this point. I have a Nuggets, Lakers, and Celtics ticket and an Eastern Conference champion ticket. It's like, how many, so it's like, how, I many ha- how many NCAA tournament brackets do you have? I, mean, geez, I have this thing cornered. Oh, I this cornered, but right. I am rooting for the Celtics. So, about the Celtics and Jason Tatum, uh, Tatum is one of these guys that. He put he put himself in NBA history with his his performance last night. What was it? Fifty one points yeah, 51. last night. That's that's the most game seven uh, in record. A, yep, in a, in a game seven record, right? Um, and Tatum, for whatever reason, throughout his entire career, has not been thought of as like the guy, even though he clearly has it in him. And I don't want to get caught up in the stupidity of you know who's clutch, who do you want on your team, blah 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 blah. This goes all the back, all the way back to when he was drafted out of that Duke squad. He wasn't even the MOP of that ACC tournament. It was never forget Luke Kennard was the one who ended up being the MOP of that uh, that Duke championship. Uh, what was that? Twenty seventeen. Seventeen. Yeah, seventeen. Okay, thank you. They I'm won ter- four games that- in four days. They were the first right. one to do it. It was it was incredible. But Tatum was a key driver in that. And I and I remember at that draft, I kept making the argument that of all the players. He was the most NBA ready off that Duke squad. And it just continues to snowball from that original point going all the way back to 2017. He was the most NBA ready player. And you see how he's blossomed into these key moments. And again, he showed up when it mattered. Jimmy Butler continues to do that in the playoffs. There's playoff Jimmy, man. It's a completely different level. We see this with LeBron James, right? LeBron James still has this other gear, even in his old age. You know who doesn't? Because he insists on playing a particular way, James Harden and what happened with the Sixers. Harden can do what he does in the regular season, but you can't go hunting the way that he does. And it resulted in a technical uh, because he was clearly looking for a foul when he let loose the ball and he got the elbow. And that kind of changed the nature of yesterday's game. And then you got Doc Rivers, who's getting dunked on as the head coach because he finds yet another way to choke up a 3-1 series lead. And this leads us to how we'll close the show. Speaking of Duke, J.J. Redick, this is what I love about Twitter sometimes. So J.J. Redick uh, ends up, let me see if I can pull up the, uh, let me see if I can pull up the the tweet here real quick. So J.J. Redick tweets out, I wonder if they cooperated. Do you have any idea what this, this, this is referencing, Joe? Do you know what this is referencing? I do not, no. Neither did I. I was like, what? What is he talking about? What is he talking about? So this gets us to the uh, me going on Twitter and trying to understand what he's talking about. This apparently goes back to Doc Rivers going on with ESPN and talking about his old Clippers team and how that relates to this Sixers group. Here's what he had to say. You've had teams like this, right? You've had star groups before, and you've had star groups where you've gone on to win it all, and you've had star groups where you've fallen short, right? I'm looking at Boston. I'm looking at Los Angeles. What group does this this one that you have right now, does it feel more similarly to one or another? That's a great question. Um, I would say definitely more uh, leaning towards Boston uh, than the Clippers, and not trying to take anything away from that team. Uh, that team was never going to win. When you look back at it, uh, we just didn't get along well enough as a group. And you can't win without cooperation. There you go. You can't win without cooperation, Joe. So, JJ, how long do you think JJ had that in the drafts, man? A, a long time. Yes, he's been with. <laughs> he was, Poor Chris he Paul, was the, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was amusing, and that's what makes the NBA the NBA. 
it really is its own game within a game. You watch the games and then you have to play the drama game. Like, what are they referencing here? And ah, I see where JJ is going with this. And JJ has been absolutely fantastic on ESPN. I love seeing his media star rise over the last couple of years. Anyway, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of Ovius and Gilio. Shout out to everybody who has subscribed, uh, who has followed along with their favorite podcast apps. Uh, we're getting close to 3,000 subscribers. I did do the 1,000 subscriber challenge, ate the Cuban biscuit. I have done the 2,000 subscriber challenge, a 1993 Carolina Panthers commemorative soda, which I'll publish a little bit later on today. And when we get to 3,000 subscribers, Joe, we're about 400 away from that. I'm going to be drinking a 10th anniversary Cane Sweet Table wine during the show. Oh, yes. That, that's when I'll we get try, to 3,000. I'll try some of that with you. Yeah. All right. All right. We can make that work. It might put me to sleep, but I'll try that some of that. With yeah, you. we'll see. And then shout out to Luke Takakov, this News and Observer. He's already got our challenge for when we get to 5,000 subscribers. He's got a, a 15-year-old brass monkey. I'm ready. My, <laughs> my body... My body is ready, Joe. My body is ready. My anyway, juice gonna... flow all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's going to wrap it up. We will see y'all Wednesday on podcast and on YouTube. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.